up, y'all? My name is Carl. What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you so much for tuning in. We always appreciate anybody who's listening out there. Today, we're going to have a guest who will be joining us for our discussion. Say hi to the people's Thomas. Hello, hello. Thank you. And we'll get to know Thomas a little bit later in the episode when we interview him more directly. Um, But for now, we're going to talk about masculinities in video games. Jake, how you doing, man? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Um, Weekend treat me well. How about you? Well, you know, these recording sessions for me are basically in the middle of a work day. So I think I need to come up with some sort of routine before I get in here to get in the mindset. But doing good, man. It's a busy day. And I'm excited to do this conversation because what? Who doesn't like talking about video games? Right. So what's your experience with video games, man? My experience, um, hmm, I still play them like not as much as I used to, but I think there was a, a point where I was kind of addicted. I think back to, I used to play a year, I played a year straight of World of Warcraft and I, uh, when I was in, I think early high school, I think it was eighth grade to ninth grade. And that brought up a lot of like things about masculinity and how I view myself, my family, my friends. Um, yeah. And a lot of emotional and mental kind of battles with myself. A lot of yelling at my parents, and my brother, because <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm raiding, I'm playing, God damn it. Um, okay. So that was something I really needed to, to focus on. Yeah. I don't know if there was ever a point in my life. I don't remember a point in my life where video games wasn't a thing. I remember distinctly getting a Super Nintendo for Christmas. It was a big deal, man. Like um, having a console in the house was kind of a status symbol. Like I would always want to go to my friend's place if they had like a Dreamcast or when my friends and I got together, it was usually centered around like who has the latest Halo game or whatever. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of tough to separate how much video games has been a part of my life growing up. Um, and so I'm excited to talk to Thomas here and get, sort of dig into what all of that means for us as men. Yeah, definitely. Thomas, what are your thoughts, man? I've been playing video games for a real long time. I mean, I practically taught myself how to read playing through Pokemon Crystal That's awesome. on the Game Boy Color Maybe, as a kid. I, don't know. I think I logged probably like 500 hours in that as a kid, which was probably not good, but, you know, it was something to do. And, you know, I still love Pokemon to this day, honestly. But um, I started playing more violent video games in like middle school. And I just remember like being such like a stereotypical, like little rage filled human in middle school from playing (laughs) video games. So it's just like, I'm excited to like look into where that comes from and talk about like some of the impacts of violent video games and stuff like that. Yeah. And when I think about the times that I raged or the biggest conflict between me and my friends wasn't around shooting games. It was definitely around sports games. Mm. Um, I think the inherent competition, a very more relatable competition, I think controlling one football team against another one, like an NFL blitz or something like that was more salient to me in terms of connecting it with my pride versus like, I never was very good at first person shooters and I accepted that within myself. Right. But I felt like I was definitely better be good at sports games. And I think that's why I was more attached to winning in those. There's definitely an element of violence in sports games, but not to the extent of a shooting game. The way I reacted, I think probably mirrors the way a lot of men react when it comes to winning or losing in video games. Yeah, I also agree. Like, I think for me, FIFA was a game I played so much, mostly in high school and then coming to college. And then I was like, yeah, I can beat everyone on my floor. And actually that kind of happened. Um, <laughs> but it's because I played so much and they had had this drive to like be the best at this one, just FIFA game. It was interesting how I felt like that was like giving me like confidence and giving me some sort of like strength because mm-hmm. I was like winning against like this floor mate that's like hardly touched the game or something like that. <laughs> so it was really e- egomaniacal. Yeah. And I mean, I've definitely like, gotten in serious like arguments with friends over video games, like just whoever 
whoever's the best at it at the time. And like, like there's like personal insults being thrown around all the time. Like most of it is like that kind of male, like, oh, throwing jest kind of thing. But you can always tell like whenever it cuts too deep and stuff like that. It's just, it's such a clear location of winner versus loser. And then the benefit of video games is that if you suck at a particular game, you can actually just play it more in the comfort of your home versus like sports skills, like physical skills. Well, I think there's an argument to be had that video game skills are physical in a lot of respects, but I'm talking like being out on a field and playing football or basketball or soccer, like that kind of stuff kind of sort of takes other people to join you in developing those skills. But I think video games is unique in the sense that if you get beat one week or whatever, you can spend the rest of the week trying to get better and come back. And I remember doing that for like Street Fighter and stuff like that. Of I'm not going to lose again to this guy. So I just like hard on you for weeks and then, you know, it paid off. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for how accessible they are too, for mm-hmm. people who have physical disabilities and stuff like that, who can't necessarily participate in physical sports. Growing up, I don't know if there was a single dude that I knew that didn't play video games, you know? And so when I think about the scope or the impact of video games, potentially on at least the culture of masculinity, I think it's hard to argue in terms of there, ha- there must be some sort of effect, right? And which is why we're bringing it into this conversation. So with that in mind, we're t- I mean, video games is just an enormous category now, right? Like it used to be, if you owned a console, that's really the only access you had for video games. But then with the advent of mobile phone technology, it's sort of more complicated, I guess, in terms of what we label video games, because mobile games would be considered a video format of games where you interact, touch the screen, stuff like that. You know, so like toddlers are playing video games technically, but they're learning how to read or whatever. And so for this particular conversation for Do You Even Lift Bro, I do think it's worth going through what types of video games we would consider violent or we would in like any sort of video games that would relate to some level of shaping masculinity specifically. I mean, there's, you can argue that all of them do, but let's talk about the ones that are dominated by men and things that we know men sort of gravitate towards in terms of playing video games. For example, is Smash Brothers considered a violent video game versus Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat, um, right? So what, how are we distinguishing between what video games would fit into this conversation we're talking about versus which ones are like, eh, probably, but let's not, let's leave that for another day. Yeah. I mean, I'd say like two of the biggest poster children for looking at uh, some of the more problematic, violent, masculine video games would be something like Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty, those more popular video games that are marketed towards kind of that core group of 18 to 35 year old uh, cis males. And also I think with that, you even have this like culture of like even 12 to 13 year olds being usually boys that are playing uh, these games. And then, and then you have like kind of a degree of masculinity and how, how do you show up in this game of like these little 13 year olds are shown as like, they're called squeakers. I remember that was like a term that they called little kids playing these games and how are we teaching like young boys to become men in our society through these games and how do we label ourselves as either masculine enough to be playing this game or stuff like that so I think about like Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto in that kind of realm of like oh this 13 year old can't be as like good enough man so to speak through that so I hear both of you and I hear two different things I hear we should talk about some of the content of video games potentially in terms of how that shapes the way we view the world and then there's a culture associated with video games that I think is a little bit separate right like so the ways men and boys maybe are reacting um, when playing against or with other people that's a different conversation than the problematic content of games like Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty 
and League of Legends potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And just like looking at content of video games, uh, Grand Theft Auto, obviously, like there's a lot of components to Grand Theft Auto. It's a sandbox game that kind of lets you do whatever the hell you want to do within the video game. And I've never actually played a Grand Theft Auto game, so you'll have to correct me on anything if I am wrong on it. But I know there's like little side missions and everything, but basically like the goal of it is just to go around and do whatever you want kind of thing. And I remember like seeing like some previews for it and stuff like that. And it's a really detailed game. Like a lot of things that you can do are drawn out with like really high quality art and everything. And I remember seeing like a scene where you're getting a lap dance from a stripper and stuff like that. And it's just like very overly sexualized. And as far as I know, like women in that game pretty much exist as pleasure objects. And there's a lot of violence towards them within that. I know you can uh, hook up with sex workers and then beat them up and kill them and Get the money back. Yeah. Yeah. Get the money back. Really violent, messed up stuff that, like Jake said, you know, 12 to 13 year olds are playing this kind of thing. And who knows how it's actually shaping their opinion of women, how it's shaping what they think they can do to women, what they're entitled to, that kind of thing. And just looking at how that plays into masculinity and how traditional masculinity is you want something, you take it, and how harmful that is. And these are all what makes Grand Theft Auto and sandbox games like that and Assassin's Creed unique well maybe not unique but the point is that you get to make all the choices that you want in the game and so if you choose a thousand times to pay a sex worker and then kill her you get the money back i have we're not psychologists we're not experts in this kind of stuff and i think it's easy to see then the connection of that must desensitize something on in someone right yeah absolutely i think that is definitely a thing that could happen you know where you're just you are making that choice. You know, it's not you actually doing that thing, but you are making that choice consciously over and over again. It's got to be, it's got to be reinforcing something. You know? Right. I think sometimes also like video games and even just media in general functions as this like numbing agent for people okay. in ways that if I were to shoot someone in the head in like Call of Duty, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't feel bad about it or I wouldn't <laughs> right. feel anything really. You feel like you won. Yeah. With, yeah, going back to like how we even like, I guess see violence is like, I feel like in these games, especially the violent games is just a way to numb anything or any feelings around pain. And are you talking about feelings of the men and boys who go into playing the game or the feelings that get numbed while they're playing the game? I would say while they're playing the game, like, I guess for me, my experience with it is like, I could hurt someone in the game and like usually not feel bad. And then how does that kind of manifest when I see it in other places of media, like even in the news or like the real things that are happening to people. So you think through playing video games, your reaction to like the Vegas mass murders is lessened a little bit. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, I would definitely say that just that overexposure to all that violence is definitely a thing that can desensitize you to these mass tragedies. And, you know, it just seems more commonplace, more acceptable, like, oh, this happened. I see this kind of thing all the time. Yeah, I think it's it's in uh, The Mask You Live In. There's a stat about how by the age of 16 or something like that, uh, we see or experience 200,000 acts of violence, right? Either through media or through video games and 30,000 murders or something like that by the age of 16. And I think that's just an astronomical number, right? Like that's probably hundreds a day. And when I think about some of the games that I've played, like Mass Effect, yeah, maybe shooting a robot isn't necessarily murder in that case. Shooting a Turian, which is an alien race in that game, I don't know if it counts towards that number. But the more I sit here and the more I think about, is Mario jumping on a Goomba considered a murder? I don't think so. But that was what I grew up with, right? Like that's pretty benign stuff compared to what I've been seeing recently with... um players on um, battlegrounds yeah 
Rainbow Six, Call of Duty. What's that one with terrorists and anti-terrorists? Do you know what I'm talking about? You have to like place a bomb. Nah. Okay. How yeah, dare you? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> <laughs> Counter-Strike. It's called Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know the narrative of what Counter-Strike was. I just knew it was a shooter. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so speaking of Counter-Strike, if there's a sort of a distinguishing terrorist group and an anti-terrorist group, um, that's the way the game is framed a whole lot of the time. And again, I don't know what the impact of that is necessarily, but I do think it's important to be critical if we're consuming this much of one type of media. So when talking about video games, there are certain games that are definitely driven by violence, right? Like the plot only advances through violence. I, Halo is the first one that comes to my mind in terms of you have to kill waves of these enemies in order to advance the story. I'm guessing that tons of other games like uh, Gears of War is very much like that. And so where guns and violence drives the story, what are the demographics of consumers for those games? Um, Just from, I believe it was a 2012 survey kind of thing. It looks like about 78% of people who played shooter games uh, identified as male, about 80% of people who played action video games identified as male, and about 85% of people who played sports games identified as male. So it's obviously pretty heavily biased in favor of the male audience there. It's interesting though that like shooters are 87 or 78%. I would have thought it would have been higher. I wonder how that shifted by Overwatch because Overwatch has a healing class, a support class that's pretty cool. Um, you can be a very valuable element of the team by being a support class and that's like oh man i wish i pulled these but most of those characters are women so i wonder if this concept of identifying with the player that you are taking control of is impacting that stat right now because of the popularity of overwatch which i think is actually a good sign like i mean i'm (laughs) i don't know if i'm advocating for like anti-violent video games here necessarily we're talking specifically about gender and i think this particular stat of 78% of shooter games are played by male. We're like, that's kind of low, (laughs) even though it's stupid high. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That might be because now in like Mass Effect, for example, you can play as a female character or in Morrowind. That's probably not a shooter. That's an RPG, but in a bunch of different games, you have the option of playing female characters. I want to say like Call of Duty, Titanfall, Destiny are like, I guess one of the first in, in my head that I can think of that were like integrating character customization with women or female bodies in there. And I think that probably gave people specifically women, I guess, more fit in this world of playing Call of Duty or Destiny because they have they can feel like they can customize their own gender or sex um, within it. And that is just something I guess I've been thinking about, too, is always like how we include women in in video games and their representation like I think of Battlefront 2 the main character of the story is a woman and like many Star Wars fans have been like really pissed about it but like I'm over here because I'm a huge Star Wars fan I'm super excited for this game like I'm like hella pumped for this character because she seems so cool and like so complex and like she gives a different story to the canon and I think it's really interesting how men are like Star Wars is a male man's world and like all right, they're not lying that's true (laughs) but like why can't we, why do we have to leave out women in it? So, right. Um, yeah, I think representation is a big reason for why there's such a big gap. Like, even though we said like, oh, it's a little bit better than we expected. Like, it's still like a huge gap. I think representation is a huge deal. Um, if you look at a lot of female characters in video games, they're often uh, scantily clad. I know like Monster Hunter, like it's a 3DS game that I've been into lately, but there's really no real story in it whatsoever. It's just <laughs> combat based. Um, but like even like the graphics are terrible, so I don't really understand it. But like the female character in in Monster Hunter, like you look at the armor differences between like a male character and a female character and the female character is wearing like nothing like 
it's not practical at all for like any combat moves. Like it doesn't make any sense why anyone would actually be wearing that. And a lot of video games with uh, female protagonists, like the camera itself is often focused in a way that allows you to focus on the butt of the character or the breast of the character. You know, a lot of the camera focuses on these sexualized areas of the uh, woman body. And so I don't know, I have to wonder like, do people play this and they're like, oh, like this is not fun for me kind of thing where it's just like, why do I have to look at this all the time? And whereas Mm. more of the core audience, which is, you know, cis hetero males is like, oh, and I'm sure like they don't even like consciously realize like where their gaze is being directed kind of thing. Okay. But it's all like a strategy by game developers to make their games as appealing as possible where, you know, the camera angle is on that. Maybe the armor is a little bit more revealing, that kind of thing. And I think some of the effects of that too is just like the power of the women in video games is kind of tied to their sexuality, I guess. Like you look at Laura Croft, she's was one of the first like main women protagonists in video games and she had very pronounced body parts, very like scantily, possibly large breasts. Yeah. Impossibly large with ridiculous physics that don't actually happen in real life. <laughs> right. So it's just like, yeah, the, there are these powerful women characters, but they're not being portrayed realistically. And a lot of their power is wrapped up in men viewing them as desirable. Yeah. Right. The only way, at least previously to get buy-in from male audiences to have female characters at all in video games is some level of sexual stimulation. And there's that aspect of it. And then there's always sort of the the hero is always rescuing the damsel in distress. Mario obviously being a classic case of that. It's a trope that it's used over and over and over again in video games where dudes fight and claw and kill and die their way to rescuing a helpless woman. Um, the one that comes up for me is for in Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, wait, it was Ocarina, it's Ocarina of Time, right? Where Sheik is this character that I think initially, I don't totally know if I was convinced if that she was a woman. As soon as she transforms into Princess Zelda is when she gets captured and is, becomes like this helpless character, right? Sort of going from a very str- obviously strong kind of masculine character, not sexualized at all, suddenly reveals herself as Princess Zelda and then immediately gets captured and is helpless. That kind of story, I think, just continues to happen over and over again. And is like, are there any other video games that have that narrative that you've played before, Thomas? Um, I played a lot of Soul Calibur uh, with my friends as a kid, uh, specifically Soul Calibur 4. And there's one character in particular. Uh, her name is Ivy. She's essentially wearing nothing. Like, I can't even describe the outfit to you, but it's the most like ridiculous thing I've seen in my life where it's pretty much her nipples are covered and that is what she is wearing. She fights a lot of, you know, a lot of armed people. Like it's not going to protect you from anything. I don't know. It's very obviously a, a character designed to emphasize her sexualized parts and stuff like that. Have you ever played Bayonetta? I have not. Bayonetta is a character and her hair is her weapon and also her clothing. So she has like this demonic hair or whatever. And the higher your combos are, the more hair it uses. So the more she gets exposed. So like there's incentives built into some games to like derobe to derobe characters. Right. And I think that actually transitions us pretty well into talking about the culture of men and masculinity when it comes to playing video games. And what are some elements in that that are really important to sort of think about, take apart and do work around, if you will. So what comes to mind when I say something like the culture of gaming or what's what's something that we need to talk about there? Um, I'd say the culture of gaming is very, very male centric in general. I mean, and the communities surrounding video games are often uh, dominated by men. Oftentimes I would label them as toxic and they are kind of a breeding ground for slurs of 
sexist, racist. It's not good. It's usually not good. Sometimes, I guess, in my experience, video games, especially like playing them with friends or being like in a party chat or whatever, communicating through video games has functioned as this almost like this second locker room locker okay. room nice. talk. And I guess I've been thinking about it with, I guess, an old friend that I used to play video games a lot with recently, like joined a party with him. It was a lot of like racial slurs, a lot of sexism, homophobia. Like I just couldn't even, I was so speechless. And I just, it was like, I guess for me, I thought about, I used to be a part of that and I just really needed to shut it off and shut the video games off for like a couple weeks. Cause I knew, I knew that I was functioning in this like oppressive way and communicating in these oppressive ways if I kept playing them for a little bit. And uh, going back to that 12 to 13 year old demographic who kind of gets into those violent video games, I think it's important to address the fact that they get exposed to these communities so early and like how easy it becomes for them to just, you know, throw out a homophobic or a racist slur anytime they get angry or frustrated or, you know, they lose like anytime they have power taken away from them in some way. Like it just becomes so easy for them to throw out those really harmful words and, you know, desensitizes them to it. It makes them look past the problems with the words themselves. It really kind of perpetuates the culture of harmful language. Yeah. And if video games impacts a huge majority of young men and boys growing up and then they hit this like 11 to 13 year old range where I would think that they're pretty moldable and impressionable and the normal language in that space and video game community space is using racial homophobic and sexist slurs like that's a dangerous recipe for a toxic community and like hellish masculinity growing up right and I think that's part of the location and part I mean I don't know if I'm sure I did but I don't remember being that like outwardly gross to my friends growing up playing console games and not having the internet like we do now I wonder if that's a development of anonymity and then Anonymity. How do I say this word? And, 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 I, and, I live in a sea and anonymity. Uh, <laughs> anonymously. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> playing anonymously, I think, helps foster disgusting language. And there's no function right now to report and dismiss. Like the reporting structure in video games, remember, is also sort of run by cis hetero men. And so if their job is to act on reports of this person is being homophobic, this person is being racist, this person is being sexist. They're also in this group of people who need to make money off of these games too. So they just start banning these people left and right. The company is going to lose money. So I, I don't know what the fix is here and, or I don't, I know we're not out to fix things, but like, I think naming sort of this dangerous cycle of the way men, especially young men and boys are being trained and seeing homophobic and sexist language as normal in that very specific 11 to 13 year old range and then not having any systems to check that I think is a really dangerous formula. There's another thing that happens I think within the culture of gaming that I've noticed recently too is they make fun of or use very very loosely the word triggered. Have you guys experienced that at all? Uh, yeah I mean that kind of language is really pervasive especially in like streaming sites like Twitch where you just like go into the comment section and people constantly misuse the word triggered. They Throw around those slurs and yeah, I've seen it a lot. Yeah, like kind of what Thomas says, like they misuse it and they also like I guess use it to, to even cause attention to themselves and also like justify their feelings around being <laughs> complete dicks um, yeah. or assholes. Um, and I think it's just like they're almost like reappropriating the word to like even just like mock people that actually have like really shitty and awful experiences as well. Yeah. It's often used as like just a joke. And I've heard people in real life actually start to use the word 
kind of jokingly where like something happens and they say, oh, I'm triggered by that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of the power and legitimacy out of the word for people who actually have to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it becomes a game of trying to trigger other people through various like either language or actions in the video games themselves. And I think that's where the argument of desensitizing people, man, these words, that argument comes back in, right? Like, first of all, I don't think they understand what the word, what the word means. Second of all, if they do understand what the word means and then are using it like this, then they're very intentionally trying to minimize people's very real emotional actions. And so in this male dominated arena, this culture of video games, it's funny to make other people react so deeply and emotionally hurt in a public space that they've developed a culture of making fun of the word trigger and trying to trigger other people. And it's just a classic case of masculinity gone wrong and it sucks. I don't, I'm, there's no like conclusion here. It's just, <laughs> that's just the way it's going right now. And it's and also I think it, I think it's interesting how it even functions as a way to silence, silence people and even silence ourselves as men. Say more. Um, I think about like if uh, I guess like I want to say 17 year old me went on Reddit and looked at Call of Duty and people saying I'm triggered and stuff like that. I would probably be convinced in some sort of way of that, like me having certain feelings about anything or even like crying or any any having any emotion besides anger is not legitimate and how pervasive that is through video games. I think it, I guess sometimes I feel like that mocking of trigger functions as a way to silence people. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Just like doesn't legitimize or even recognize or validate anyone's experiences or feelings. So I think video games is a, plays a crucial role in silencing voices. Well, I guess media in general, but in this case, I think video game communities do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of those video game communities kind of have some overlap with maybe like other toxic communities who, you know, they strictly adhere to traditional ideas of masculinity, specifically like, I know like the red pill, it like usually condemns video game use, but I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if, you know, maybe a lot of people who subscribe to the red pill idea didn't used to be heavy gamers kind of thing, because it kind of attracts that group of people who are a little bit socially awkward or something. And, you know, they see this community of people saying, here's the truth. Here's what you need to do in order to be happy. And it just perpetuates this idea that you need to be quote unquote alpha or exert your power over others, or you need to be constantly hooking up with women or, you know, stuff like that to prove your masculinity. And I think that the video game community especially ties in with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The red pill is its own podcast and Jake, I'm sure we'll get into it. But the fact that you sort of bring up and tie in the red pill brings me back to the fact based on the things that we've been talking about in the last five or 10 minutes, that confluence of ideas, those attitudes, those behaviors, I think easily explains why particularly violently driven games are so dominated by men who play them. I can't imagine being in that world, identifying in a different way, knowing that those types of attacks are actually like very real threats and dangers in your life outside of video games. And so, you know, it's not surprising that those numbers, those numbers are so high for men playing them. And then I think the popularity of mobile games also ties in in the sense that explains why so many people are drawn to them because you get to engage in mobile games for the most part without (laughs) interacting with other people in that way. Thomas, you mentioned that shooters action in sports are 80 to 85% men. Do you have any stats or thoughts on mobile games and what the the demographics are for that? If you look at mobile games, uh, or I guess people who play video games in general, the general demographics are it's pretty close to 50-50 
men and women, but that is accounting for mobile games, uh, like games on 3DS, games on phone, that kind of thing. And if you look at console games specifically, that's where that kind of gender gap comes in more, where it's you have 70% of console gamers are men, whereas 30% of console gamers are women. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with, with the toxic communities, you know, how much of a mental toll that takes to be constantly told you're a woman, so you can't play this game. Like there's a lot of culture where it's like women are worse at video games. Why are you playing this game? Like, well, and then we talked about the sexual, the blatant sexualization of women in video games. Like if video games portray women as jokes, then actual women who come in to play video games are probably taken as jokes. And that shows up directly correlated. If you ask women, their experiences in these communities, particularly if you have a Twitch stream of a dude playing one game and put that side by side with a woman who's playing the same game and watch their chats, it's gross. It's like obvious. Disgusting. Yeah. How much the chat room for the women is just hitting on her trying to get it. Like, it's just, it's nuts, man. Yeah. And I think console game developers are starting to notice this a little bit too, right? Like the other day I downloaded Slime Rancher and played it and it was fun. And Slime Rancher is like your character is a woman, but it's first person view and you like go collect these slimes and you can like make hybrids. I don't know. It's just fun. Okay. So like, but there's a ton of like indie games and women who are starting to develop these really detailed storyline based platformers that are absent of violence. Right. And more puzzly and more intricate. And I think it's smart to really broaden the scope of video game development for these companies, because why wouldn't you want to include like women and people of color and all of these games. I don't, I don't understand why that's such a hard logic to cross. Yeah. And just going back to Overwatch for a bit, cause I know whenever at first, like the trailer first got shown, it was kind of all the female characters they revealed were, I think the four characters they revealed at first were Mercy, Widowmaker, Symmetra, and uh, Tracer. Mm-hmm. And if you look at all their body types, they're all very, um, very lean, uh, Certain parts of their body are emphasized more than others. Yep. Um, but since Overwatch came out, they've actually added a pretty diverse group of characters, which I think is good. I know in the official like comics for Overwatch, uh, Tracer is actually in a lesbian relationship, which yep. is really Zarya. good for representation. Yeah, Zarya has a non-stereotypical body type, which is really cool. Anna, Anna's a, uh, one of the new support characters, which is a whole other thing where most of the support characters are women kind of thing. But yep. she is an older woman of color, which I think is a really cool like representation aspect. So I don't know, Overwatch... You know, obviously it's not perfect, but I think it is a step in the right direction where they are getting more diverse uh, women characters into the game. And they're trying, right? Like, I think that says a lot about, look, let's try to do this the right way. Like some of the stuff they came out with is, I think, in tandem with working with the community. So for Chinese New Year, they came out with a slate of costumes and maps and stuff like that. And I think they worked really closely with experts in the area to come up with the costumes and things. Like, I really liked that, actually. I think I thought it was a really good way to roll out diversity that's not like tokenizing. And some of those costumes are still used by people today. Like you said, it's not perfect, but stuff like that even is progress to me. And it shows with the popularity of the game running more than two years now, they're still highly, highly popular. And when I think, when I go back to like culture of gaming, (laughs) Overwatch specifically had tons of searches on porn sites to like see these female characters specifically in a sexualized context. So even if you start looking at video games and how it pops up in different areas, you can still see how masculinity is sort of being impacted uh, through the medium of video games into other areas. 
one of the best resources I think in engaging in how gender representation is showing up in video games is Feminist Frequency. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about the tropes that are in video games and laid out really, really well through video game sequences and adding some feminist critique and commentary to it, I would check out the YouTube channel Feminist Frequency. And I think even though video games is this virtual world, we see it manifest, the violence that happens within manifest outside of the video game world, right? Like, for example, the f one of the founders and creators of Feminist Frequency, it, her name is Anita Sarkeesian, and she's been asked to speak at various college campuses, and she's had to cancel various speaking events because of safety issues. Like, she gets a lot of death threats, people threatening to bring guns to her speaking engagements because she's bringing a critique. She's not saying stop playing video games, dude. She's saying maybe we should check out how and what we're doing in terms of gender because it's important. That alone brings in this like violence into her life that's totally unnecessary. Yeah, definitely. I think she does a really great job of like helping people understand how to, how like video games kind of produces this like toxic culture and how maybe to kind of alter your self-perception of how you view video games and culture. She does a good job of um, kind of teaching people how to like kind of restructure and think a little more critically around video games. And she, yeah, she doesn't say stop playing. Like just look, she's just wants to say like, look at it differently. I think she, yeah, she'll get a lot of shit for, she gets a lot of shit for that. And I, I'm wondering if, if I were to go on YouTube and do that, I don't think I'd get as much flack and Definitely how gendered not. that is, how gendered that is and how maybe I might get some flack, but it wouldn't be violent or it could be violent, but not to the point where I would feel like I would receive many death threats or. Right. You don't have to fear being be raped. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's a lot of privilege and power in that too. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of privilege and power in that. I think majority of your comments would probably be something some of the gaming community has kind of like co-opted the term social justice warrior and turned it into mm. a pejorative term where it's like, I think that is probably what the majority of your comments would be, would be simply calling you like a lousy social justice warrior or something where she has to deal with like very serious threats of violence. And yep. that's a pretty common thing where it's just like a woman decides to, you know, speak up and be like, Hey, like, maybe take a look at this. And people are like, uh, no. And also here's a lot of violent threats. And it's for such like a non consequential thing that is very frustrating. Like video games are, they're literally fake, you know, like, right, literally it is annoying that someone would get that worked up over someone trying to say like, Hey, maybe change this and this to make it more inclusive for people, make it less bad. Cause I mean, it contributes overall to the patriarchal structure of what is going on, you know, indirectly and directly in some cases, you know, kind of helps perpetuate rape culture and just stuff like that. And it's frustrating that someone would work against that because they don't want critiques of their favorite video game. Yeah. And when I think about like, why are we having this conversation? Like, so what, right? Like what's next? I remember three or four years ago, Actually, it's probably closer to five or six years ago. Um, I was living with someone who had a kid and he was 12 or 13 years old and he wanted to play Grand Theft Auto. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, but then, <laughs> but then he was like, please. And I was like, okay, fine. But so easy. <laughs> yeah. I came pretty quick. <laughs> uh, but what I did say was, Hey, so you can play this, but what I want you to do is I want you to, when you finish the game, take five minutes and write down your thoughts, like write down what you did, write down how you did it, went about it. And after a month, I'm going to check back in and I want sort of this report of like things that you did, how you made your decisions, what you were doing. Right. I didn't go so in detail with like how many people did you kill? Cause that'd be maybe impossible. Well, I don't know. Maybe the game keeps those tracks. 
keeps keeps track of those stats anyway. But that was my way of making sure that he was able to really critically consume and get in touch with what he was feeling and trying to track that over time. Because knowing him, he wasn't, his nature wasn't to be desensitized to that stuff. His nature was to be very sensitive about that stuff, to be anti-violent. And so when I think about the ways I engage with video games, I am much more drawn to having it be more of a social thing. Um, even if it is through violence like uh, Left 4 Dead, I shifted my views to we have to finish this level alive to let's have fun together, which is hard. And then I do engage in things like Slime Rancher and what was the other one called? There was another, there's, there's a couple of those sort of like indie type of games that I would never have even thought twice to download and play probably five or six years ago. But through this process, of restructuring my masculinity. I've explored a bunch of things at this point and found out that I like them. So let me try that in this arena as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of conscientious like encouragement of critically playing the video game is a good approach to take. Just I don't think video games are really the villain. I think they're a reflection of kind of where society is at right now. Absolutely. So I just think like conscientiously consuming that kind of media is a good thing to do, especially for people who are younger and still in their formative years. And I think about, yeah, I kind of go the same way with Thomas, but I also think about like, where does my, I guess my numbness show up and when does it not? Once I've critically analyzed or critically like thought about the ways in which I consume media and play video games, then like my numbness has really drastically dropped. I remember playing like Call of Duty, like I think last week with a friend and he was like, let's play. And I was like, okay, whatever. I saw this guy got get like shot in the head. I was like, holy shit. That was bad. Like that wasn't <laughs> something we should be okay with. Like, and I just had to like, I was like, I need to walk away for a sec. Um, and then I also noticed it when I watched, um, what's that? What's the new war World War two movie? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, right? I think it's Hacksaw Ridge I got directed by Mel Brooks or not Mel Brooks, <laughs> um, Mel Gibson. Um, and I was so like blown away on how gruesome and awful it was. And I was like, why am I, why have I never reacted this way before? Um, so I guess my numbness to violence has changed through critically like thinking about and seeing video games in a different way. And Jake, I think you and I will talk a lot about the culture of silence amongst men too, right? So what continues to allow this kind of language and attitude to happen in video gaming communities, I think is the silence of other men not saying anything. And so if you're, I'm not in those arenas anymore. I don't know how or what I can do to help shape some of that stuff. And so when, um, well, I guess this one time my brother and I were playing and he was killed in Overwatch and he was like, that guy just totally raped me or something like that. And I said something, I was like, come on, dude, like there's a better way to describe that. And so thinking about those, like the silence might be as much of a problem as the blatant verbal attacks. Mm hmm on everyone. I don't, so it's so broadly generalized across the board. I don't know how to talk about it. And I think I also have encountered, yeah, with that feeling of, I guess for me, like when I'm in a, like party chat or like even typing a message to people on PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. And I think about it as I had, like, like I said earlier, um, like another locker room and having that locker room talk and how, when like, even I used to play with friends and they would be like, she was being such a bitch. And it was just like a character in the store, in the <laughs> right. game that killed them. And I was like, you mean a woman, right? And they were just, they're almost like confused of what I meant. It's so bizarre, but it's not bizarre, but it's so pervasive and constrictive that it's just so, we, I guess we get wrapped up in being silent sometimes because it's just almost like, I just wanted to play some 
video games, I didn't want to have all these intentional conversations. Right. But I think more and more, I think it's been a lot easier to have those conversations and feel like I still can have a good time. Yeah. And I think kind of that same anonymity and I can't, I'm never going to say that word again. Um, <laughs> the same element of anonymousness. Yeah. The element of anonymousness. I think, <laughs> I think that the same way that it kind of like can be harmful and like adopt people into mm-hmm. these harmful things. I think at the same time, it can be a really useful tool for kind of call out culture where, you know, someone says something bad and you can safely engage them in conversation and be like, Hey, you know, like, this is why it's not okay. This is why you shouldn't say that kind of thing. This is who you're hurting. Like just little comments to get people to think about what they're saying. So it can be helpful in a way for you to just like bring up whenever someone says something harmful and you can do it from the relative safety of your home, which I think is a cool thing. Word. So let's speak out more and let's be more critical. Absolutely. Now that we've sort of talked a lot about video games and masculinities within video games, Thomas, I thought maybe we could ask you a question. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your journey through masculinity. Um, let's see. Um, I think I grew up as kind of a, I would cry a lot in baseball. Let's say okay. that. Um, I would get really frustrated and uh, just cry a lot because of that. And I think that Tears was of what? frustration, okay. anger. Gotcha. Yeah, lots of anger. Um, but that eventually was just like, you know, it's the most stereotypical thing to say, oh no, crying in baseball. And so I think just that kind of attitude to where it was okay to kind of express your emotions in that way was kind of like forced out of me a little bit. And like probably through like late elementary school through late high school, where it was just like, I would not outwardly cry. I would not like outwardly express a lot of emotions where it was just kind of like, I would go through life. Like, this is what this is kind of thing where it's just like, I don't know, I was a very reserved person because I felt like expressing emotions wasn't really a masculine thing to do. And since then, I feel like I've kind of like come out of my shell. I'd cry in basically every movie now where it's just like, (laughs) you know, like a rom-com, oh, I'm going to cry like eight times during this and there's not going to be any stopping it kind of thing. So I just, I don't know, my journey of masculinity has just kind of been more settling into emotions and like being comfortable with expressing them, being comfortable with showing them outwardly, which I think is something that a lot of people need, like still need to work on. I still need to work on it more is being able to effectively express emotions and show them to people. Do you think there's something, some sort of message that you grew up with that sort of allows you to cry today? Cause I know for me, it's like even difficult to consciously, I'm like, I want to and need to cry right now, but physiologically, it's still very much a reaction of trying to keep them in. So was there something in your life that lets you do that or is just kind of come naturally for you? What's the, what's your process of crying? (laughs) Also, like the first time I kind of like let myself cry again, I guess was (laughs) I don't know, like I got into a relationship high school and that kind of romantic intimacy kind of brought out a lot more of those emotions and let me kind of explore that a little more. So I kind of think that is where I was just like, yeah, okay, this is all right to show emotions kind of thing. And yeah. Awesome. You talked about how like baseball is something that was, I guess, like part of your masculinity. Were there anything else or, or people or any other activities or were there anything that kind of brought this story of masculinity to you? Some of the other elements that let me kind of explore masculinity, uh, especially in high school was I uh, joined my school's uh, Gay Straight Alliance, and we did a lot of cool work with uh, you know trying to get people to stop using defamatory language, like get people to stop using gay so casually. You know, like it's not an insult; you can't be throwing it around like that. Like this is how people identify, and so we did a photo campaign with that, where we got students to kind of like 
take pictures of them and then plaster like just that anti-hate speech where it's like, you know, this isn't okay to say. And so that was a cool little like foray into introductory social justice, if you will. Yeah. And I had a lot of, I had a very diverse group of friends in high school, which kind of helped me like explore more more of those elements of masculinity where, you know, very much got into like, yeah, like you cannot be saying homophobic slurs. You cannot be doing this kind of stuff. And so I, I think the biggest like impact for me on my masculinity has been my friends and like how they've kind of helped me be not uptight about it. You know, like I feel like a lot of men in society, you know, they get so uptight about their masculinity or their quote unquote man card and like Mm. how to express it to other people. And it's just like nowadays, it's like, I don't, who gives a like, yeah. So thank you for sharing so much, Thomas. We know that we're more than our masculinities. So now we're going to ask you some slightly unrelated questions. Is that cool? Let's do it. Have you ever had long hair in your life? You seem like a long hair kind of dude. I used to have the uh, the Justin Bieber hair, but it was never actually Wait, the Justin Bieber hair. I'll have to look that up. You've never seen the Justin Bieber hair? Just, you know, long swept across the face, you know, <laughs> gotcha. blown out of my face all the time. <laughs> all right. Uh, but it was never successful because it actually just ended up looking like a terrible bowl cut. Uh, my <laughs> friends actually call me bowl cut boy in middle school. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> What's your favorite video game? My favorite video game of all time has probably been Pokemon just because of like the roles it has played in my life. Like I was really into Pokemon as a kid. Like I think show and tell like exclusively every week I would bring like Pokemon cards or Pokemon <laughs> game. Uh, and it was a good bonding. It was a good way for me to bond with my brother too. Cause he had Pokemon Silver, I had Pokemon Crystal, and we would battle or trade or whatever. And so, yeah, I'd look forward to the new installment every time it comes out. You ever speed run the game? I have not ever sped run the game, but I did get in a little bit into uh, competitive battling for a little bit. That's cool. Yeah. If you were to have one skill, what would it be? Any any skill at all? Yeah. Is teleportation a skill? <laughs> Can I teleport people? A magical skill. Oh, you want to teleport other people? Or myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I would go with teleportation as a skill. I mean, (laughs) I'll I'll name a realistic skill and then an unrealistic skill. I guess my unrealistic skill would be teleportation because like, how dope would that be? You know, like, oh, I'd a little strap for cash, go rob a bank or something. But, um, what? <laughs> uh, there's other, sure app- you mention that one? <laughs> there's other applications. I don't think I'm actually going to be able to teleport, unfortunately. <laughs> so hopefully they can't trace it back to me. A realistic still, I guess, being able to speak another language. I think that would be a really cool thing to be able to do is just be able to effectively communicate with people of another culture or something like that. What language that would that be? I mean, all the languages, uh, but <laughs> I think Spanish would probably be the most immediately helpful due to my current location in the United States. What's your favorite smell? My favorite smell. I'm going to be honest, this is a pretty hard question. <laughs> There's so many smells out in the world. I'm going to go with uh, fresh laundry, which I think is probably uh-huh. a little bit stereotypical, but yeah, fresh That's laundry. Cool. Yeah. Um, what drew you to men in the movement? Um, so I actually took a freshman honor seminar with uh, Jennifer Kraftchik. She teaches a cool freshman honor seminar on sexuality. And so I was just, you know, learning more about that. And between that and my experience in the high school gay straight Alliance, you know, it seemed like men in the movement would be a really cool place for me to kind of get into some of the more social justice kind of stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, man. We really appreciate your stories and your thoughts and I'm glad you could be here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again, Thomas. You just brought so much great discussion to the, to this podcast and hopefully you could come back this was awesome so that'll do it for this episode of do you even lift bro men exercising social justice if you have feedback comments questions thoughts or want to be interviewed for a podcast please email wgac at colostate.edu that's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu huge 
shout out to our partnership with the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU for allowing us this podcast to actually happen at Colorado State University. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, aka Zavli. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Check us out. Deuces.